Happy New Year, everyone. We are so excited to have each of you here with us today to share the victories of 2020 and look forward with renewed hope for what's to come in 2021. There are so many great initiatives in the work and great things on the horizon. Patient advocacy, advocacy groups, clinicians, researchers, and individuals who all work tirelessly to support our families, we will never be diverted. To say the least, 2020 has been one of the most difficult years that any of us has ever experienced. But what we know is that this community is filled with mighty warriors who despite no matter what faces them, we always persevere. So together we will continue to get through, we will continue to press onward to get closer to treatments and a cure. So before we start today, just a few housekeeping items. To all of our presenters, please make sure that your video is turned off and you're muted until it's your time to share. Attendees, if you have questions, please use the Zoom chat feature and the bot at the bottom of your screen or feel free to text me at 248-797-2399 or if you're joining us by phone, you can email us at info at mitoaction.org. We're so excited to have you all join us today for our annual town hall meeting. Today's call will be recorded and available later today on the Mito Action website and our podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. We will also have a written summary that will be available in the coming weeks on the Mito Action website. We have a full agenda today, and we're looking forward to hearing from the various organizations within our community about their plans for the coming year. To kick us off, our first speaker will be Paul Hardy, president of the Mito Action Board of Directors. Paul has been involved with Mito Action for more than 10 years. He is an incredible champion for the Mito community. Paul, his wife, and the entire Hardy family and the North Andover community continue to give tirelessly of their time and energy to ensure that every family on this Mito journey knows they are not alone and has the individualized support they need to face each day. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Kyra. Um, first, I want to start by thanking all of you for taking the time out of your day to join us. I'm calling from the Boston area, so I'm going to do my very best to neutralize my thick Boston accent so you can all understand me. <laughs> but we are really excited to have you all here. Um, as Kyra mentioned, I'm the president of the board and I've been involved with Mito Action since our family received our son's uh, Matthew's diagnosis of pyruvate dehydrogenase. Um, as he turned uh, just about one years old back in 2006. As I mentioned, as a Boston area native, we were blessed to have the support of the hospital systems here and dozens of specialists who helped us manage Matthew's devastating diagnosis. But it was the people at Mito Action and the community it has created that supported us the most as we entered that journey of what it means to be an advocate of a child with a rare disease. Unfortunately, Matthew passed away on December 19th of 2013, uh, just a few days after his eighth birthday. Um, and it was at that point uh, that our family um, really committed whatever energy we had left to spare on helping the families in, in similar situations. Um, we remain steadfast as a board and as a community to support the patients living with Mito in every possible way. I'm thrilled to report to all of you that despite some significant headwinds uh, we all faced as a country and, and globally during this pandemic, um, that our organization, having been managed day to day by Kyra and her team, 
is on extremely solid ground and our pivot to more virtual support and events has been a great success. And so my piece here is to demonstrate a little bit um, uh, the impact uh, in summarizing some of what we did in 2020 and then end with what we look forward to in 2021. As many of you are aware, Mito Action continues to be a leader in the support of families as they navigate this devastating disease. And we are completely honored for the trust of the community and the partners who have joined us to help those families. So here are a few highlights of how we serve the Mito community in 2020. 2020, we reported 14 Matthew Hardy Camper Fund scholarships. And since its founding in 2015, we've awarded 39 of those. Um, that have allowed students with Mito to attend universities such as the University of Michigan, Boston College, University of Florida, Indiana, and many, many more. We responded to over 1,300 support requests from patients, family members, and caregivers through our Mito 411 support line. Our one-of-a-kind Mito Action app helps families manage their day-to-day -day with mitochondrial disease. Um, the app is making significant impact on day-to-day -day caregiving while providing valuable data about MITO for researchers and clinicians. Uh, we have over 350 registered users and that is uh, growing significantly. We continue to award Marcel's Way Family Fund grants um, to provide financial support. Um, and we were able to expand the program um, for a special COVID-19 grant to dozen of, uh, dozens of, 19, uh, of families in 2020. Um, this holiday season, we also gifted over 100 children with Mito Santa's holiday surprises to ensure that regardless of the financial strain of the disease, the children didn't go without having something special during the holidays. We published a new patient, uh, a new patient kit for fatty acid oxidation disorders and we've distributed over 400 of those kits since July. And finally, uh, we're proud to announce also that we expanded our team with additional support staff to help serve the growing number of families who reach out to Mito Action and rely on us every single day. So looking forward to 2021, um, we're going to host our second international metabolic conference for families affected with fatty acid oxidation disorders. Last year, we had over 400 attendees from eight countries for our first event, and we look forward to increasing our reach with another virtual event in July. We've expanded partnerships with several new camp properties to support the Matthew Hardy Camper Fund. We'll be making announcements about those opportunities in the coming months, and we've continued to expand our virtual Mito socials and patient education forums across the country to connect families in their local communities and bring Mito experts to areas that uh, don't readily have access. There'll be new updates to the Mito Action mobile app to help give you even more control of your medical journey with new added features and, and integrating the platform into clinical research. And along with the MMS and UMDF, we're supporting the growth of the mitochondrial disease care network to ensure better quality of care for the Mito community. We are launching a new energy in action podcast. Uh, and this, these new episodes will go live each Wednesday um, hosted and led by clinicians and patients sharing their journey and providing insight to living your best life with a rare disease. Uh, we have several new partnerships that we'll announce in the coming months as we continue to focus on raising awareness of 
of the disease and supporting the development of therapies. And I guess I'll end with finally that um, the Mito Action Board of Directors just continues to be very committed to expanding our program offerings so that we can continue to support families in unique and personal ways. I encourage you all to reach out to us. Let us know how we can support your family and stay connected through social media, the website, the weekly support calls. You can email me at president at mitoaction.org if you, if you wish. Um, and so again, on behalf of the board, the Mito team, my family, the families who are benefiting from our programs, um, I just want to say uh, a very heartfelt thank you for your trust in us, uh, in your partnership, and your participation. Um, I speak with direct experience that the work that we do, the support we give is significant improving the lives of the patients and families who are affected by MITO. Thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, we are really excited. The entire Meadow Action team is really excited for all the, the new initiatives that we have coming in 2021 and continuing to serve the Mito community as best we possibly can. So next to share more specifics about the Mito Action programs is Jeannie Freeman. Hi, everybody. Sorry, my video is a little screwy today. Um, thanks, Kyra. Thanks, Paul. Um, again, I just want to say thank you to everyone for taking some time out um, on this Friday afternoon to join us. Um, like Kyra said, my name is Jeannie Freeman, and I'm the manager of finance and operations um, here at Mito Action. So I'd like to share with you some of the ways we will make a difference in 2021 for patients and families affected by Mito by increasing awareness about mitochondrial disease across the country. We will continue to host our signature events. Um, this year they'll pivot um, a little different than in prior years um, virtually, um, but that makes it even easier to join in from wherever you are. So in April, we will celebrate the eighth annual Matthew Hardy Mito Classic. This event brings together middle school kids, high school kids, and even some teachers to play street hockey and raise awareness about Mito in honor of Matthew Hardy. The 12th annual Sandra K. Russell Derby Day Benefit for Mito will take place on May 1st. This Kentucky-themed event is full of excitement, silent and live auctions, hat and bow tie contests, and of course, the most exciting two minutes in sports. In July, we will host the second annual International Metabolic Conference for families affected by fatty acid oxidation disorders. Then in August, 10 members of Team Meto Action will take part and run um, in the Falmouth Road Race. In September, Mito Action will kick off Mitochondrial Disease Awareness Week while continuing our Move for Mito initiative that we launched this year with the 17th annual Energy Walk in 5K. Then later in September, we will co-host the third annual Energy Walk with the Payne family in Syracuse, New York, which is in honor of their 10-year-old daughter who has Mito. In October, we will hold the eighth annual Matthew Hardy Golf Tournament in North Andover, Massachusetts and we will co-host the third annual Energy Walk in Rochester, New York with the Myers family who lost their dad and their uncle to mitochondrial disease. Also in the coming months, um, we will be launching a brand new store where you can purchase all of your brand new uh, MitoAction branded gear. So as more events take place virtually, this offers you an opportunity to host your own fundraising event for MitoAction. Some ideas could include hosting your own satellite energy walk, a restaurant night, a virtual paint night, a direct sales party online, or Facebook fundraiser. The possibilities really are endless. For details on any of these events, you can visit our website 
at www.meadowaction.org events. And then Paul mentioned a few um, awards that were given out this year. So I just wanted to mention how to um, apply for those programs and a little bit more about them. So the Matthew Hardy Scholarship awarded 14 scholarships this year to students with um, mitochondrial disease for college. The next application deadline is May 30th or May 31st um, of this year. If you have a high school senior or currently enrolled college student, you should think about applying. Our scholarship recipients are pursuing careers in early childhood education, nursing, psychology, pre-med, biomedical engineering, physical therapy, and much more. You can visit our website at www.mitoaction.org scholarship to learn more or apply. And the Marcel's Way Family Fund was born out of the mission of continuing to improve quality of life for all affected by Mito and offers families financial assistance um, which can assist with the cost of necessary but expensive things like wheelchairs, adaptive equipment, hospitalizations, medications, tele telemedicine, point telemedicine appointments, and more. In 2020, nine families received a grant from this fund, and another dozen families received a grant from the COVID-19 Relief Fund. For more information on that, you can visit www.mitoaction.org slash Way. And then Mito Santa's was founded in Western New York in 2009 by adults affected by mitochondrial disease and was only limited at that time to families in, in the Western New York area. But in 2017, Mito Santa's partnered with Mito Action to go nationwide and deliver Christmas presents to kids across the United States. As Paul mentioned earlier, Mito Action purchased gifts for over 100 children in 2020. Applications for 2021 will open in October you can visit www.mitoaction.org slash mito-santas to learn more. If you have questions about anything I've mentioned today, please feel free to email me or MitoAction. Um, my email is Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-I-E, at mitoaction.org. Thank you, Jeannie. And finally, from the MitoAction team is our newest member, Stephanie Tomlinson, who oversees our patient support programs and initiatives. Welcome, Stephanie. Okay, we'll, we'll just move on to the next piece. We can't hear Stephanie. Stephanie, can you hear us? We have no sound from you. This is standard on, 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 Zoom, on Zoom calls, right? Exactly, right? There's always gotta be something that, oh, right, something exactly. that goes wrong. One Everybody, everybody's used to it, so, so no worries. If this is all we have to deal with, we're good. Oh, did I hear? Yes. Oh, great. Sorry about that. There you go, Stephanie. I'm trying out a new microphone. Sorry. So this is Stephanie Tomlinson. I am the patient support coordinator new with Mito Action. I'm also the parent of a Mito patient and have been in the mitochondrial disease uh, space since he was born in 1999. And I can tell you with much enthusiasm uh, how wonderful it is to see the growth in this area and to find an organization uh, such as Mito Action that is committed to supporting uh, families, patients, and the medical community on integrating each other into our day-to-day -day struggles. 
Um, as the patient support coordinator, it's my role to utilize the knowledge from within our community and find ways to connect our patients to resources. One of those resources is social media. During the times of COVID, it was essential to make sure our members had a resource for accurate and timely information. Mito Action has used all platforms across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram to relay this information, answer questions, and build a strong support connection for our members. In the past year, our platforms have grown to the point that I can proudly say we now have members on all six continents, all 50 states, and a growing presence in Europe, thanks to our strong, strong partnership with IMP. While I don't readily have available for some of the families in Bangladesh, I know that Mito Action has established itself with renowned advocacy groups, and I can lean on them to find resources and hope for those inquiring. Our presence on social media has grown, but also our Mito 411 program has exploded. In the year 2020, we saw an increase of 28% in calls from new patients or people seeking resources. This equates to over 1,300 phone calls and emails that have been responded to by myself and a group of volunteers who have signed up to take on the task of communicating with individuals who are muddling through a diagnosis, searching for medical support, and most often just need time to speak with someone who knows the odyssey they are on. We also saw a surge in membership to our MomBucket program. This is a group of women who care for patients of all ages. They are willing to jump in and help support our community needs. We have grown this group in one year from four to 27 members. This group has been utilized to gain a pulse on what is available in their community for their regions, who, the who's who of doctors, conversations on caregiver stress, and so much more. We have made our own circle of people, a sorority, if you will, within a large community, and quite frankly, it's essential. I look forward to 2021 as we plan to keep this momentum going. With the launch of two podcast channels, we have the opportunity to keep this moving. Energy in Action is a weekly podcast that brings patient stories, resources, and hope to our isolated community. Our goal is to continue to find topics that are of interest, resources, and conversations that will resonate with people in the rare space. An unexpected outcome of our podcast recording was the need for parents who are parenting as rare. Due to this discovery, we are now in the process of forming a support call for patients who have mitochondrial disease and are also parents. This will allow them to speak authentically about their thoughts, needs, and worries. It also provides a space to unite with others and lessens that feeling of being so isolated. Last, a hallmark program of Mito Action is our Friday support call. I have to say as a patient or as a parent of a Mito patient, this is honestly my favorite hour of the week. Each week on Fridays at noon, we offer the ability for anyone in the Mito space to call in and connect. This call is attended by patients, caregivers, and medical experts. It has allowed for people to speak freely, share their information, update on joys and fears, gain support in a time right now when everybody is out of touch but needs the touch. As a parent of, Mito, of a Mito patient, I am thrilled to be part of the Mito Action team. Thank you so much, Stephanie. As you can see, we have been extremely busy at Mito Action, working hard every day to continue to grow our programs to serve our families to the best of our ability. So up next, joining us, we have um, Dr. Matt Klein, who is the Chief Development Officer from PTC Therapeutics. Welcome, Matt. 
Ira, thank you very much and Happy New Year to everyone. It's great, uh, as always, I think now for the ninth year to be here to be able to share updates uh, with the Mito community. For those of you not familiar with PTC Therapeutics, we're a biotechnology company based in New Jersey. Uh, we have over a thousand employees with offices in the US and globally. And we were founded 20 years ago to develop novel therapies, science-based therapies for patients, adults and children with rare diseases. That commitment to advance novel therapies for, for people affected by rare diseases remains. And despite many challenges in 2020, as I know we're all aware of, uh, we made significant progress in advancing programs from a number of our different uh, programs, including our gene therapy programs, some of our RNA programs, and most relevant to this community from our bioenergy programs. The uh, bioenergy platform at PTC consists of the compounds that were acquired from Bioelectron, uh, which was my previous company. And bringing them over to PTC is really giving us a lot of additional muscle to help move programs forward. In 2020, we initiated three trials from the Bioelectron platform, uh, two potential pivotal trials uh, with PTC 743, which many of you may know as EPI, formerly EPI-743, uh, and those trials were in Friedrich ataxia and mitochondrial epilepsy. And we also initiated a phase one trial in a new compound, PTC-857, that's being developed for adult uh, neurodegenerative disorders, again, characterized by mitochondrial dysfunction. I wanna to focus today though on uh, talking a bit about the PTC-743 mitochondrial epilepsy study. We're really excited about this trial as it represents a lot of many years of a lot of work uh, in the laboratory as well as around the world in treating patients with mitochondrial disease. The trial for patients with mitochondrial epilepsy includes children who have genetically confirmed mitochondrial disease and the associated symptom of refractory seizures. As we all know, seizures are a highly morbid part of mitochondrial disease, and many patients who have mitochondrial disease and seizures don't really respond to traditional anti-epileptic medications because many of them don't target the mitochondrial pathways that are caused by mitochondrial disease and result in seizures. So we're, we've built this study based on a lot of work we've done in the laboratory demonstrating a clear link between the target of PTC-743 and seizure-causing pathways in mitochondrial disease, as well as from data we've collected in a number of studies in a whole host of different mitochondrial disease subtypes, including Lee syndrome, MELAS, MRF, Polgy, Alpers, PCH6, all of studies in which we were able to demonstrate an important impact, not only on seizure frequency, but other aspects of disease related to seizures, such as hospitalizations. So this trial, which we began in October of 2020, is again a potential uh, pivotal trial for approval uh, in both uh, the US, Europe, and other countries in the world. Uh, we are looking to enroll 60 children. The inclusion criteria are for kids with genetically confirmed mitochondrial disease under the age of 18. Uh, there's some other important criteria just around the number of seizures that uh, people have, as well as uh, the need to have been tried on other medications that didn't work. Uh, we're working to open study sites in the United States, in Europe, uh, in Latin America, as well as Australia and Japan. Uh, we've already opened a number of sites in the United States and are actively enrolling patients. 
The study is seven months long. In the first month, all uh, patients enrolled in the trial will be followed to make sure that they have a certain number of observed seizures. Uh, and those will be tracked using an electronic diary that people will be able to use at home. And then if you meet that requirement for a certain number of seizures, uh, the kids will then be enrolled to receive uh, PTC 743 or placebo for six months. And then at the end of that six month, all participants in the trial will then receive uh, PTC 743 for an additional year. The primary endpoint of the trial will be reduction in the number of observed motor seizures following six months of either treatment with PTC 743 or placebo. We'll also be measuring other aspects of seizures, uh, different types of seizures, and also be uh, assessing the number of infections and days in the hospital that participants have, medical encounters, as well as looking at a caregiver burden scale, which is something we've learned is an incredibly important way to understand the potential benefit uh, of a therapy. As I mentioned uh, briefly, the, the seizures are gonna be tracked using an, a, an electronic diary. And so uh, all uh, families will be trained on how to use this diary and, and being able to conduct these assessments remotely. That is for pa parents to be able to complete the, the survey on a daily basis at home is obviously an incredibly important uh, feature, particularly in the current COVID environment. So we've obviously worked very hard in this protocol to minimize the needs to go to any of the study sites. As I mentioned, the study is open for enrollment. Uh, we have begun enrollment at a few sites already. Uh, we have a website that is set up about the study and the website is www.themightystudy, uh, that's T-H-E-M-I-T-E-study.com. And anyone who's interested in more information on the trial can, can check out that website or look at the PTC website, which is www.ptcbio.com, or can send us an email at medinfo, M-E-D-I-N-F-O, uh, at ptcbio.com. So uh, again, if anyone has any questions, either for one of your uh, own family members, someone you know, uh, or just any questions in general, we please reach out and we'll get you more information. Uh, we look forward to, again, uh, working with Kyrie U and Mito Action has been such valuable partners uh, for so many years now. And we look forward to continuing to work with you to get this trial moving forward as well as to continue to advance uh, our therapies for, for more patients with mitochondrial disease. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. We appreciate all of your hard work and your tireless efforts to continue with this therapy. You've been at this particular treatment for quite some time and just know how much we appreciate all that you do for the Mito community. So we thank you so much. We appreciate it. So up next, we have Dr. Amel Kara, who is the president of the Mitochondrial Medicine Society. Welcome, Dr. Kara. Thank you, Kyra. Good afternoon and happy new year, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know the Mitochondrial Medicine Society, it is a, a physician-led society that uh, specifically deals with primary mitochondrial disease um, diseases uh, that was found, founded 20 years ago by Dr. Richard Harris and, and, <clears throat> and Dr. Bob Navio. Um, we are a group of international physicians uh, who get together to put forth guidelines and recommendation for the diagnostic and uh, management of patients with primary mitochondrial disease. Next slide. 
Um, I wanted to um, start by um, uh, by letting you know that um, in this past year, like everyone else, um, the pandemic has caused a lot of delay and halted many of our uh, projects and, and, and progress. Um, but uh, for the most immediate need for our patient, we just put forth uh, our most up-to-date recommendation for the COVID-19 vaccination, which can be found on our website. The website is www mitosoc.org and I will list it at the end of the presentation as well. But if you go to the website where the red uh, arrow is pointing to use an update, next slide. You will see that there is a link right here that will lead you to the um, most um, up-to-date recommendation for our COVID-19 vaccination for our patient with mitochondrial disease. Next slide. The the document um, can be uh, downloaded as a PDF. It's a uh, pretty extensive document of seven pages that has multiple international um, international physician experts in mitochondrial disease uh, co-signature. We have all gotten together around the world to create this unified guideline for our patients. So to give you a little bit of answers as to what the vaccines are, what to expect when you have mitochondrial disease and how we should move forward um, now that vaccines have become available in the US and elsewhere. Next slide. One of the things that the Mitochondrial Medicine Society oversees is the creation and management of the Mitochondrial Care Network, which was launched in 2018 under the stewardship and in collaboration with MitoAction and the United Mitochondrial Disease Foundation. Um, this, um, we have about uh, 22 sites across the US. You can also visit our um, website for the Mitochondrial Care Network, and I will give you the link uh, later during the presentation. Next slide. So the mitochondrial care network was created really to harmonize the clinical care and the diagnostic approach that we have um, in the US at least for our patients who are suspected of having a mitochondrial disease or have a diagnosed mitochondrial disease. So we have several um, mitochondrial medicine sites and several affiliate sites. And uh, this year we are going to increase the number of our sites and open uh, our, um, our network to new applications. So we're very excited about that. Next slide. What we have been doing in the last year is we're creating a patient guide for a newly diagnosed patient that you can find on our website. Um, next slide. So this guide uh, was developed by um, physicians, social workers, genetic counselors, and is really a uh, how-to guide for people who, for the first time, hear about mitochondrial disease and are a little bit lost as to what to do, where to seek guidance, and uh, how to handle the new diagnosis for the patient and for the rest of the family. It's a toolkit for our patients, family, and caregivers that you can easily access on our website and can download also as a PDF version. Next slide. We have also been working on telehealth project even before the COVID pandemic hit, and we were trying to really uh, provide more access to mitochondrial disease experts within the US to our patient who may live in states where there isn't a mitochondrial medicine center that is available. And um, 
I, I would I would say the, it's a silver lining that the pandemic has uh, created this urge of using telehealth and telemedicine. And now uh, a lot more people are familiar with this concept. And so we are moving forward to try to bring telehealth to our care network and to try to make it easier on uh, our existing patient and new patient to get access to expert care and diagnosis uh, across the US. So we will keep you updated on this front and how we are uh, providing, um, we will be launching and providing this service. Um, the other thing we have been doing is in partnership with the UMDF as well, we have created the MITO University, which is a, a compendium of um, uh, educational material uh, made by physician for physicians and healthcare providers to enhance the knowledge and understanding of mitochondrial disease and to really educate people on the front line who may see mitochondrial disease patient, not enough to become experts, but who are interested in really taking good care of their patient. We will continue in this coming year to uh, increase the number of material that we provide. We will try to um, divide them by uh, organ system and specialty so we can uh, reach um, as many specialists in the medical healthcare system as possible. Next slide. We are also very excited to uh, announce that we have this year also hired a new coordinator for our mitochondrial care network. Um, uh, Ashley Welburn um, has recently started in November and she will be um, the face of our network and she will also allow us to move forward uh, more expeditiously with all the projects and the nice things that we want to achieve in, in, the, in the network. Um, as we also launch the telehealth uh, service, Ashley will also be at the front of communication with patients and, and, and doctors as well. Next slide. So if you want to know more about what the MMS and the MitoCare Network uh, uh, do, uh, please log into our website, www.mitosoc.org and www.mitonetwork.org. And thank you, Kyra. And um, I hope that 2021 is going to bring a lot more collaboration and face-to-face -face interactions. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Kerr. We appreciate it. And we are honored to partner with you to support the MCN program. And we look forward to working with you throughout 2021. Thank you Thank so you. much. So next up, we have Irina McCarthy, who is the president and CEO of Stealth Biotherapeutics. Welcome, Rini. It's good Hi. to see you. Hi, Kyra. It's great to see you. So thank you so much to you and Paul for inviting us here today. It's great to see so many familiar faces and hear so many familiar voices. Um, and welcome and for everyone on the phone today. Um, Happy New Year. I know uh, 2020 was an awfully tough year uh, in the community and, and generally. So for us at Stealth Biotherapeutics, we're focused on developing um, drugs for mitochondrial diseases. And around this time last year, we were announcing some pretty disappointing data with respect to our phase three trial in mitochondrial myopathy. So I'd like to share kind of coming into the new year that with additional analysis of the data from that trial, we did identify a subgroup of patients who had nuclear genetic mutations. Um, so think PolG um, and Twinkle and mutations in other genes that actually encode for proteins involved in replicating mitochondrial DNA. Um, in that subgroup of patients, we, we did see a response that we think is uh, important for us to move forward with another trial in, again, in that subgroup of patients. So we'll be meeting with the regulators at the FDA 
hopefully by mid-year this year. And you can look forward to more news from us towards the second half of the year about initiation of what we hope will be a pivotal trial, again, in patients who have nuclear uh, genetic mutations causing mitochondrial myopathy, peripheral neuropathy, and CPEO is, is often also a symptom um, experienced by patients. Beyond um, that program, we continue to make progress with Barth syndrome, which is another mitochondrial disease which really causes life-limiting cardiomyopathy, uh, as well as skeletal muscle weakness and neutropenia. In Barth syndrome, we have just been granted a pre-NDA meeting by the Division of Cardiology. So what that means is we'll be going in to talk to the FDA about our planned submission of a new drug application, which we would then hope to be submitting uh, by the end of this quarter. So hopefully in March, um, if, if you know, we're successful there, that would be potentially a first approval for us. So again, look forward to hopefully sharing more news on that program as the year progresses. We've been partnering with the Bar Syndrome Foundation, which is an advocacy group for that particular um, patient population. And again, looking forward to making progress with Barth this year. Based on what we've seen in Barth syndrome, um, in terms of the cardiomyopathy associated with that form of mitochondrial disease, we're also starting a trial in another mitochondrial disease, which is Friedrich's ataxia, um, which PTC also mentioned. So for Friedrich's, we will be looking at a couple of different symptoms which affect Friedrich's patients. One is visual decline, um, which those patients tend to experience, and also cardiomyopathy, which is the leading cause of death in that disease. So we will be starting a phase 2A program in collaboration with the Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania, uh, and that should be announced the first part of this year. Hopefully really telling us what endpoints we should be considering including in a pivotal trial, which likely wouldn't start until we do an interim an analysis of that data, which should be again around this time next year. So beyond the nuclear genetic mutations, Barth syndrome, Friedrich's ataxia, um, Labor's hereditary optic neuropathy remains in our pipeline as, as a um, disease that we're looking to move forward with a pivotal trial for. There we did do a phase two trial and we met with the FDA and agreed that we should move forward to phase three, which is typically the last stage of the clinical trial process. Um, we are doing some work to see if we can develop a formulation for our drug, which will be more targeted to the eye and also allow less frequent dosing for patients. And so we're hoping to have some progress on that this year, which would then allow us to move forward with that pivotal study. So we remain committed to that program. And then beyond that, continuing to progress our pipeline of mitochondrial targeted therapeutics, our second generation molecule FBT272 um, is really more intended for neurodegenerative ramifications of mitochondrial diseases. And we are kind of doing all the preclinical work we need to do to enable us to get into patients in the near future with that compound. So overall, very committed, again, to the mitochondrial disease community, um, really share a deep commitment to bringing forward therapies to uh, improve the lives of patients suffering from mitochondrial diseases and hoping to share more news with you all this year with our progress. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rini. As you said, we, we are so appreciative of your unwavering commitment to this community. And I know we had a bump in the road this time last year, but we keep moving forward, right? And so we appreciate your commitment. 
um, and, and continuing to move forward and never giving up. So thank you so much. I truly appreciate it, as does the community. Happy New Year to you. So next up, we have David Keene, who is the Business Development and Genetic Diagnostic Specialist, and Amanda Baylog, who is Senior Genetic Counselor for GeneDx. Amanda, up oh, there you go. Thank you, Kyra. Um, I think that I'm just going to be the one presenting. Um, okay, welcome, David. Mandy may be on, but uh, I'm just going to go over the updates um, and see if I can get us back on track from a time. Thank you. Um, as most of you know, GeneDx is a leading clinical laboratory in the genetics of mitochondrial disease. Um, we're one of the few laboratories that actually has a dedicated mito team led by Dr. Renke Bai, Hong Shui, and the previously mentioned Mandy Baylog. Um, as far as testing updates are concerned, we periodically update the gene lists on our mito and metabolic panel tests. Uh, we don't have any specifics at this time, uh, but obviously whenever there is an update, um, new genes discovered uh, via exome and genome testing, et cetera, um, they are added uh, if appropriate to specific panels. Um, panels being uh, things like the uh, mitochondrial nuclear gene panel, lactic acidosis and pyruvate metabolism nuclear gene panel, Lee syndrome and mitochondrial encephalopathy and mitochondrial encephalopathy, et cetera. Um, the big news in relation to those, as well as our whole mtDNA um, sequencing and deletion testing, is that as of today, we have lowered our maximum out-of-pocket expense for all of those panel tests to $250. So um, if you get a test request to, to do a panel test for mitochondrial metabolic disorder, the maximum any of uh, the patients will pay is $250. Also, um, later on this year, uh, we will be publishing an article um, on our experience with mitochondrial disease in the journal Genetics and Medicine. Um, I don't have a date on that. I know that it's uh, um, currently under review, so stay tuned for that information. Um, lastly, uh, we're really grateful for our partnership with MitoAction. They do such amazing work uh, and we're happy to be partners with them. Um, you can get my contact information from MitoAction if you have any specific questions about genetic testing. And I encourage you to reach out to me via phone or email. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, David. We appreciate it. And you know, again, kudos to GeneDx. I can't tell you the number of patients that David has individually taken the time to help and to counsel and to walk through this process. So I want you to know how much we truly appreciate all that you do um, to go above and beyond to help our community. We truly, truly appreciate it. So My thank pleasure. you so much, David. Thank you. Karen. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too. Thank you. So next up, we have Kristen Voorhees. And Kristen is the Associate Director of Patient Advocacy for Ultragenics Pharmaceuticals. Welcome, Kristen. We can't hear you. You're still muted. Can't hear you. That's okay, just take a second. We'll figure out what's going on.
Kristen, I'm thinking maybe your phone is called in as an attendee and not a panelist. I think that's probably what would happen. Just give me one second, I can flip you over and we'll get you, um, get you connected. I just need to make sure which is the correct phone number and I can switch you over. Just give us one second. There we go. Can you hear me? Now we can hear you. There okay. we go. <laughs> okay. Um, and David got us on track and now I've gotten us off track for a minute. So I, that's why I apologize. So good morning and good afternoon and happy um, new year, everybody. Um, Kyra and Meadow Action, thank you so much for the invitation to provide the community with different updates and information for people living with um, long chain fatty acid oxidation disorders, which is a condition that Ultragenics um, is very focused on. You know, we're incredibly grateful for the partnership with, with your organization and are looking forward to another year of working together. So we have a lot of different updates to share with the community today, um, and we've grouped them into four different topics. So I'll just start from the first. The first is that we have plans to bring triaptanoin to LCFAOD patients living in Canada, um, and that's pending Health Canada approval. Our company has a really long-standing commitment to help every patient who could benefit from one of our medicines or an investigational treatment gain access, and that urgency to treat is, is really integral and very central to our mission. A new drug application was submitted to Health Canada in July of 2020, last year, and was accepted in August of, of, of 2020. Health Canada has granted the application with a priority review, which means that it's associated with a six-month review to timeline. Now, based on that priority review to timeline, we anticipate a decision to be made in February 2021, so that's next month. And we look forward to, to providing the community um, and Mito Action with more information when we're able to do so. The second update that we want to talk about is an opportunity for patients and families living in Canada with LCFAOD to share their story with us. So we're planning a virtual advisory board. Um, and the goal of that meeting is to better understand the needs of the FAOD community in Canada and to really gain a better understanding of how we can work together and support them. And so the, the meeting is still ongoing for recruitment. And if anybody is interested, please contact us. Um, I'll share my contact information at the end. And Mito Action um, also has some information about the meeting. I also want to mention that as our, our company continues to expand our research and work in Canada, we're also very excited about continuing to work with, with um, Canadian patient organizations. And so I see Mito Canada on the call and that also includes the Canadian Organization for Rare Disorders, also known as CORD. The third opportunity or the third update, um, we have three unique opportunities or studies for the, for the community to contribute to research in long-chain fatty acid oxidation disorders. The first is known as the LCFAOD Odyssey Study, and this is currently open for enrollment for people living in the United States. It's an, it's an observational study that aims to measure that the burden of the disease and understand how people are engaging and using the healthcare system. So we've partnered with Picnic Health. They are a technology service 
provider, and they worked to collect and analyze the de-identified medical records. Um, and, and patients will actually get a, an access to all of their medical history. Um, and it's an IRB-approved study that, again, is open for enrollment now. Um, you can learn m- more about it, including um, how patients uh, can participate. Um, they'll be compensated, um, all of that. And it's available at picnichealth.com forward slash LCFAOD, or you can call 415-801-0572. We also have two other separate studies um, that fall under uh, our vision for an LCFAOD disease monitoring program, or DMP for short. We have an in-clinic study uh, with sites in multiple countries, and then a virtual platform that will be conducted both on web and, and via app. So the DMP is unique in that it's a long-term prospective outcome study that aims to collect information for about 10 years, for up to 10 years, from both adult and pediatric patients living with an LCFAOD. Currently, we estimate that the in-clinic DMP will open for enrollment in the United States in quarter one of this year. And then the virtual DMP will begin later this year, potentially as early as quarter two. People can be on any treatment, and they do not need to be on triptanolin or dejolvi in order to participate. And we have a lot of goals with this, and it's really to better understand the disease and its treatment and guide ongoing research. And those topics um, have been priorities that the community has said are important. We really encourage you to stay in touch with your physicians to learn more. Um, we'll also be providing MitoAction, Inform, and, and, uh, and the healthcare community with information as more details become available. But in the meantime, we can say that um, the topics of that we're going to be researching aim to establish a really robust set of data that the community can access and use to generate for future research. And we anticipate that the in-clinic study will enroll about an estimated 300 patients, and the virtual study will not have a participant limit at all. It's, it's meant to engage with all people living with LCFAOD. Fourth and finally, we have some updates to provide regarding education materials and programs. We're really excited to announce that our team is kicking off a new monthly webinar series that will take place throughout the entire year. And the first um, webinar will be on January 27th, that's a Wednesday. It'll be available at 4 p.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. Eastern. And over the course of the year, all of the webinars will feature different healthcare providers who specialize in LCFAOD. And topics will include living with LCFAOD, the dietary management, and disease education. And attendees will also be able to connect with, with one another virtually, of course, for a short period of time. So the first speaker is Heather Brissell. She is a dietitian, um, and the title of the January 27th program is Living Well with LCFAOD. You can learn more at faodinfocus.com forward slash patient dash program. Again, all of this information will be available to MitoAction. And then finally, we are, um, we're in the, the process of either um, disseminating new patient education or developing um, education. The first is an understanding LCFAOD brochure, uh, brochure and that really um, is meant... And that's really meant to explain the causes of LCFAOD and how it impacts the body. And then secondarily, we um, are developing a new set of resources that aim to help families navigate the transitions that occur 
throughout life. And we're really grateful to everybody, including healthcare providers in the community who has given us, us feedback. So um, some of these materials are already available now. You can check out faodandfocus.com. Um, the transitions materials will be available in mid-2021. And um, we're also in the process of translating some materials into Spanish. So the best place to learn more information is faodandfocus.com. And I just want to close and thank everybody for your interest and attention. And if you have any questions at all, you can contact Patient Advocacy at ultragenics.com. And again, we're really looking forward to working with MitoAction and the LCFAOD community. Thank you so much, Kristen. As you know, last year, MitoAction made a very deliberate um, decision that we were going to welcome the FAOD community and expand our programs, which included the conference, which we look forward to having again in July. And we're very appreciative of our partnership and being able to work with the Ultragenics team to support this very, very special community. So we are grateful for you and thank you for being here with us today. And everything that Kristen shared, all of the links, like she said, you can find them on the Ultragenics website or on the Mito Action website. Um, and we look forward to sharing more about their, um, their programs and what's, what's ahead. So next up, we have Lisa Metzger, who is the editor Lifeline of Lifeline Letter, Director of Community Engagement for the Olay Foundation. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to say, first of all, I'm always so impressed by everyone who presents at this. There's um, so much going on and everyone's doing so much. It's really impressive. I wanted to explain the Ole Foundation too. We're not directly focused on the mitochondrial um, population, but there's overlap between our communities. And um, primarily that overlap is in the need of some with mito for nutrition support. But I realized too that um, we have overlap in that we provide a lot of general resources for people living with chronic illness. I was looking for <clears throat> A testimonial that might explain who we are and what we do and I came across one from it's old but it's from UMDF about a um, an article in the newsletter about IHP and 504 plans um, for youth um, and the that school issues are often a problem for mito kids and that this was a resource that they could use beyond that uh, the Ole Foundation provides education, networking, and advocacy to enrich the lives of people who are dependent on home tube feeding and IV nutrition. Our programs, in, uh, our programs include an equipment supply exchange program, which is really a very popular program where people who have supplies they no longer need, mostly tube feeding, can get those supplies into the hands of those who do need them. It's patient to patient. Uh, the Ole Foundation is not directly involved in handling it, but in handling the materials. I wanted to say too that we are the Ole, the Ole Foundation was founded in 1983 by Dr. Lynn Howard and her patient Clarence Ole Oldenburg to bring together people on home parental and enteral nutrition. I think everyone on the call is probably aware of how much patients and, and their families get from being together. So the Ole Foundation has annual conferences. Last year, we had to switch as everyone to virtual, which is a steep learning curve. Now all of our programs are virtual online. 
In 2021, we're expanding our education efforts, our regional conferences, which used to be in person and regionally based, have become mini meetings online where they're available to everyone, of course. Our enrichment programs also include monthly webinars. The next webinar is going to be during Feeding Tube Awareness Week, which is in February. It will have a patient, um, long-term home enteral nutrition consumer talking about how to become comfortable with it and what he's done to make himself, um, sorry, comfortable with it and living successfully. We hope everybody will join us for Feeding Tube Awareness Week. It's in February. We'll be active on social media. We'll be sharing resources. And by joining us, you can help people understand that um, one can live a full life with a feeding tube. And in October, we'll be sponsoring an Awareness Week for Home Parenteral or IV Nutrition as well. The Ole Foundation is now accepting applications for our Ole Awards that recognize people on home, enteral and parental nutrition for setting an example for just living life and um, supporting others on home, enteral and parental nutrition. You can find the applications for that on our website. And there is also the Kyle Noble Scholarship for people entering or continuing their education. The application for that is online as well. The applications are due in March 24th. We're continuing to work on our clinicians directory. We encourage clinicians and everyone else on the call to join the Oli Foundation, there's no charge, to join the Oli Foundation and get on our mailing list so that when the directory is launched, you'll get an invitation to be listed in the directory. It will be clinicians with expertise in, I should say with experience in any of the professions associated with enteral and parenteral nutrition and all of the diagnoses that may lead to the need for enteral and parenteral nutrition. So this audience will, we welcome your participation in the clinician's directory and we count on you to become part of it. Kyra, I know we have more going on. We're a small organization in terms of staffing. We have a lot of members, but staff is minimal. We're all working from home and trying to keep all of our programs going while uh, trying to navigate that home-based situation. I apologize for <laughs> not having a little bit more to offer, but I hope that everyone will go to the Oli Foundation website. It's www.oli.org and look at what we have available. And Kyra, I've been assured that all of it's going to be on your website as well. We'll add as things come up. Thank you so much, Lisa. We're all in this together, right? We all feel your pain. We're all working hard. Yes, we can with the resources that we have. So we're all in this together. And we will continue to share the programs and services uh, for the Olay Foundation. We truly, truly appreciate your commitment to the very Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Next, we have joining us is Tolga Ooz, who is the Senior Medical Director from Estelle's Pharmaceuticals. Welcome, Tolga. Hello, thank you, Kyra. Can you hear me okay? okay. Uh, good afternoon and happy new year, everybody. My name is Tol Goos. I'm a senior medical director at global development team in Acelas Pharma. 
As a part of our commitment to mitochondrial research and development through recently identified mitochondria focus area, Acelis is developing two potential PPAR delta modulators. PPAR delta target regulates the synthesis of new mitochondria, energy generation by fatty acid oxidation, and improves muscle endurance. These investigational compounds are the product of many years of uh, preclinical research in our companies and with the top academic labs like Ron Evans from Salk Institute, who co-found MitoBridge. The first investigational compound is in phase two clinical development for the treatment of acute kidney injury following coronary artery bypass surgery. This study is currently ongoing. The second investigational compound is ASP0367, which is a potential PPAR delta modulator, which showed a good safety and tolerability profile with positive biomarkers in phase one in healthy volunteers. This year, we are launching two simultaneous clinical studies targeting myopathies in which mitochondrial functional deficits primarily and secondarily involved in disease pathology. First one is phase two, three primary mitochondrial myopathy study. And the second one is phase one B study for Duchenne muscular dystrophy. We strongly believe that combining MitoBridge team's longstanding PPAR specific research experience with Astellas' global development experience and resources along with help developing efficient, along with help of the community, including patients, advocacy groups, and key academic centers will help developing efficient therapies to improve lives of patients suffering from mitochondrial diseases. You can follow our progress and learn more about our clinical studies at clinicaltrials.gov as well as mitobridge.com. And of course, we will continue to communicate regularly through MitoAction. Thank you again for your time. Thanks, Karen. Thank you so much, Tolba, for sharing. We really appreciate it. And we will continue to share all of the updates and information on your studies with the Mito community. Thank you so we much. Will. Thank you. We appreciate it. Next up, we have Stacy Hart with Modus Therapeutics, which is also part of Zogenics. Welcome. Hi, Sarah. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we hear you just fine. Great. So my name is Stacy Hart. I am the mitochondrial disease team leader for Modus Therapeutics, a zoogenics company. Our goal is to develop transformative therapies for rare genetic diseases with high unmet medical needs. We are developing an investigational drug for the mitochondrial disease, thymidine kinase 2 deficiency, also known as TK2 deficiency or TK2D. To this end, we fully appreciate the long journey that many of you endure in finding a diagnosis, managing your symptoms and advocating for yourself or for your child. <clears throat> and so I want to thank you all and appreciate that we are committed to keeping you informed and working together during the coming year. TK2 deficiency is a form of mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome. It is very rare and inherited from your parents. It is a debilitating and life-threatening disease that causes severe muscle weakness that progresses until patients lose the ability to walk, eat, and breathe independently. TK2D can impact people of all ages, and patients can have slowly or rapid, rapidly progressing symptoms. Like most mito diseases, TK2D is difficult to diagnose, and many patients remain undiagnosed. Because TK2D causes muscle weakness or myopathy, exercise intolerance, and debilitating fatigue, 
your symptoms may look like other mitral diseases, such as primary mitochondrial myopathy or PMM. But unlike PMM, TK2D is associated with respiratory weakness, sometimes requiring breathing assistant devices. Many people with TK2D also have ptosis or droopy eyelids or PEO, progressive eye <clears throat> muscle weakness. If you have TK2D, we wanna hear from you. You can go to www.tk2d.com to learn more about how to take on TK2 deficiency and to register to be part of the TK2D community. Genetic testing plays a critical role in your disease journey so you can get a timely, accurate, and complete diagnosis. Testing allows you to receive the proper care and support you or your child may need. In order to participate in a clinical trial for genetic diseases, you need to have a confirmed genetic test. If you suspect you or your child has TK2D, please talk to your doctor. Your doctor will be aware of genetic testing options. And our company sponsors a genetic testing program to support physicians and patients. Researchers at the University of Washington are currently enrolling patients with a confirmed TK2D diagnosis in a study to learn about how TK2D impacts patient lives. Please note, this is not a drug study. It's a study to better understand the disease. For more information on the University of Washington study, you can email tk2d at uw.edu. And I'll give these um, email addresses out in chat after this, after my talk. MODIS is developing an investigational drug called MT1621 for TK2 deficiency. MT1621 is an experimental drug that is a fixed dose combination, nucleoside substrate enhancement therapy. Based on animal model studies, MT1621 targets the underlying disease mechanism of TK2D by increasing the production of mitochondrial DNA, which is believed to improve mitochondrial function. MODIS is conducting a clinical, a clinical study for MT1621 for patients with TK2 deficiency that will open soon in the US and Europe. You can visit MitoAction's current clinical trials link for more information. If you or your child qualify for this study, you will work with your doctors and clinical trial investigators to learn more about the requirements of participation and the potential benefits and risks of this experimental treatment. Thank you so much for your time today. It was my pleasure to be here and to be a partner with MitoAction. Thank you so much, Stacy. We really appreciate you and the MODIS uh, Zogenics team for all of your work in the two TK2D. I was, that's a tongue twister for me. It is, right? <laughs> all right, thanks, Kira. Thank you so much. Next up, we have John Geisler, who is the founder and chief scientific officer for Mitochondrial Pharmaceuticals. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, we're hoping this is an auspicious year for Mitochon, and it's the year of the ox, so we're off to a good start. Um, we'll go to the next slide. And then the next slide. So I think everyone knows that this is, um, uh, mitochondria is the, the powerhouse of the cell, so I just want to hit across the treetops on a few things. Some of you may not know, though, is that uh, the mitochondria is the only organelle out of all the organelles with a pH basic environment. And this is important because our drug is a weak acid and it's specifically attracted to this basic environment of the mitochondria. 
The other thing is that beyond making uh, ATP, it's, it makes a huge amount of reactive oxygen species. And probably less known is that it is uh, responsible for um, clearing the cytoplasm of calcium. So it, it can, under ER stress and other conditions, it, it can go over what's called uh, calcium overload and that can induce cell death apoptosis. And the other thing I want just to mention is that um, among mammals, um, the mitochondria are extremely well evolutionarily conserved. Our drug specifically modulates the entire mitochondrial physiology. physiology. The target is the mitochondria. So the next slide. So we work with a platform of small molecule oral brain penetrating um, once a day drug called protonophores or uh, uncouplers or ionophores. So the drug is a transporter of a proton, which is hydrogen, MP101, transports a, the molecule into the, uh, the matrix of the mitochondria, which is the pH basic environment. It releases the proton that changes the mitochondrial membrane potential. And by doing that, it abolishes free radical production. But it also cascades into uh, lowering the uh, calcium influx into the mitochondria to, to lower calcium overload. And then this um, non-genomic event, which is based on basically on biophysics, cascades into induction of uh, cyclic AMP being made, second messenger. Um, and, and that induces CREB. And CREB is, um, is the transcription factor for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Uh, these three factors here are cyclic AMP, CREB, BDNF, as the Nobel laureate Eric Handel's cognitive factors. So the non-genomic effect of lowering Ross's um, cascades into uh, potential for repair uh, is a genomic effect. So if a picture's worth a thousand words, I have a video I want to show you. Uh, next slide. This is a model of multiple sclerosis. Um, it's to demonstrate that the molecule, the platform of treating these mice um, is disease modifying. So here's a severely paralyzed placebo untreated mouse. Here's our, our MP101 treated mouse. Uh, and then the next one is a prodrug of MP101, slow release formulation at one dose and then the higher dose. And in the second, uh, the mouse hops out of the cage. So you go from complete paralysis in one case to um, a mouse able to have this kind of action to hop out of the cage. So uh, to me, this is uh, disease modifying and it really uh, could be a profound effect in the many diseases associated with mitochondrial dysfunction. Next slide. And in this model, we, there's a lot of things that have gone wrong in the spinal cord, uh, a lot of in inflammatory factors, myelic basic proteins, uh, neuronal injury, <clears throat> but in the MP101 or the MP201 treated uh, mice, they have uh, restored the or maintained myelin basic protein. Down at the bottom, you can see BDNF has been in, induced. This is a cognitive factor. Uh, the inflammatory molecules, IL-1, TNF, INOS are also lower than uh, in the uh, untreated mouse. So we use these biomarkers, we're planning on using these biomarkers um, in the future in clinical studies. Next slide. Also, uh, more recently is uh, the, the news, and this is from uh, last year and it's ongoing now, is that we, we've delved into doing uh, studies in models of ALS. So this is an ongoing study um, done by Wen Len, Len, Len Pierre. Uh, she's uh, at, in the University of Florida. And um, 
here is the, the black is the, the wild type mouse and the two other bars are side one, the, the gold standard mouse. And if these mice are treated uh, with uh, MP101 and put on a rotor rod, they, you can see that right around 30 RPMs, um, the mice um, fall off through or the placebos, but they stay on if they're uh, MP101 treated, pretty similar to wild type. So this uh, opened up the door for orphan designation by the FDA award last year. And we have another one for Huntington's disease the year before. Next, next slide. Um, and another part of our pro portfolio that we're working on is traumatic brain injury. This is a, a mouse that's been hit by a little BB, a little piston on the cortex, um, and then started treatment two hours later for two weeks. If you're um, untreated, you have a, a loss of like 38% of your uh, tissues gone. But if you have MP201, it, it, it prevented the destruction of the neighboring cells by calcium overload being lowered and free radical production being lowered. Next slide. And the most important factor to this whole thing is that at the first week, uh, the animals didn't have any curiosity. We call it novel object recognition. Uh, but by the second week, uh, the MP201 mice restored their, their curiosity. So they got their cognition back. So this data right here has uh, gave us an award um, given to uh, Patrick Sullivan and uh, to con continue for about $3.2 million to, to look at MP201 and other models, including studies that we've done at the Children's Hospital of Pennsylvania. Next slide. So our IND is open. We got a, a little delay under COVID, but we're halfway through our clinical studies for phase one. So this year we're hoping that we can uh, start to do a series of uh, phase 2A studies. There's are really brief studies and Huntington's disease um, patients, ALS patients, and, and perhaps MS. Uh, we believe translation to be predicted to be excellent because the mechanism of action is based on a non-genomic uh, effect based upon biophysics, which should be completely conserved among mouse to human. And again, mitochondria are extremely well conserved evolutionarily. So we have uh, a really good chance for this uh, to translate well. Next slide. So what we're planning on doing is uh, two weeks uh, biomarker studies in patients that have ALS and, and Huntington's first. So this would be a, a doing a lumbar puncture to take cerebrospinal fluid at day zero. And then every day, once a day, uh, get dosed with MP101. Then at day 15 to take cerebrospinal fluid again to, and then look at the delta of markers of inflammation, free radicals, Rosses, antioxidants, and then do a two week washout to see if there was any delayed changes in certain biomarkers or if there was a, a sustained effect such as BDNF or other things. Next slide. So the basic hypothesis is if we do this two week study that it would, the pleiotropic effects of MP101 to lower Rosses and improve mitochondrial population will reduce Rosses, apoptosis biomarkers, um, improve antioxidant status and lower inflammatory markers that are known to be um, raised under mitochondrial dysfunction. And then the goal is to, to use this information to then turn around and uh, know which dose was optimal and do the critical phase 2B studies, which are six months to a year. Next slide, please. 
So this is just a host of papers that we published over the last six years. Um, we started Metalcon in um, 2014 with Robert Alonzo and the support of Ben Franklin Technology Partners. We're out in the Philadelphia area and, um, and we've been quite productive, I think. Uh, and now we're happy that we're moving further into the clinic and uh, hopefully we'll be there as speedy as possible in patients. Next slide. That's it. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to continuing to share with the community all the incredible research that you're doing for the mitochondrial disease community. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Yes, Happy New Year to you. So up next, we have Lindsay Klinging-Smith, who is the Director of People Against Lay's Disease. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? Yes, okay. Thank you. Um, as Kyra said, my name is Lindsay Klingen-Smith and I'm the director of a small nonprofit here in Houston called People Against Lee Syndrome. And our mission really is to raise funds um, for research and for clinical care um, for Lee Syndrome patients. So um, MitoAction and the UMDF, they do such great work on the patient support side. We really are looking to fund, um, like I said, research and clinical care. So as many of us have mentioned, um, 2020 was a hard year. Um, we were forced to cancel our largest fundraiser um, and therefore you know, didn't bring in the funds that we normally do um, last year. However, we were still able to honor um, many of our commitments. Um, we were able to gift $30,000 to the UT clinic here in Houston for physical therapy services for all patients in clinic. And I got an update from them yesterday and um, the onboarding for that physical therapist is in progress. And we're really excited that they'll be able to offer those services to all patients. Um, on the UT side too, we also fund um, a patient registry and um, we moved that registry over to REDCap, uh, which many um, institutions use um, around the world. And, we're excited, it's, uh, we feel it's more user-friendly. It can be translated into different languages and um, we're just hoping that we can see an increase in patients on that registry as a result. Um, if any patients are online here and are on the registry, there's no action on your behalf. Um, all the information was moved over. So um, that's kind of where we are with UT. Um, we're still actively supporting the Lee Syndrome International Consortium. Um, and I think Brian's going to address this from U UMDF um, in just a bit, but um, we, we kind of did have a delay too due to COVID, but we're happy to report that on the natural history study, we do have a consensus um, on a set of outcome measures. And so our next step is to get sites all over the world um, kind of up and running with data collection. So that's something that's really exciting. Um, and then as far as 2021, I mean, I say come hell or high water, we're going to have an event. Um, we are just kind of moving forward as if it'll happen. Um, we graciously were donated an outdoor space by um, a large restaurant and company here in Houston. And so that's planned for May 2021 um, with fingers crossed and hoping that we can get people together outside and socially distanced. Um, but one thing I want to leave with everyone um, before I sign off is um, as I stated before, PALS, um, we do want to fund research. We want to fund clinical care. And we didn't, we're, we're not able to do this in 2020, but our goal in 2021 is to put out a RFP, a request for proposals 
um, for people who are looking for funding for those things. So um, we'll post you know, information on social media. It'll be on our website. Um, hopefully Kyra has, and I can message my information here after I'm finished speaking, but um, that's exciting news for us and should be for the community as well that we, we do have the funds and do wanna support some other things moving forward. So um, happy new year to everyone. And um, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Lindsay. We really appreciate all the work that you do. And as we know, 2020 was a bear. Um, it was a bear. Thank you. <laughs> forward to, to new and better and just, you know, just a, a better year all around. So, and we will, we will be sure to share on our Mito Action website, everything that's going on with PALS and the programs. And when you get that RFP up, we'll be sure to share that information with our community. So thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank Happy you. Happy New Year. Thanks so much. Next, we have Alex Dornbaum, who is the Chief Medical Officer for Reneo Pharmaceuticals. Hey, hi, hey, can you all hear me? I tried to activate my camera, but it says that you uh, that, that you have to approve that, but I can speak, it's, it's not a problem. Um, uh, so, so, so I wanna thank Kira and the organizers of this call uh, uh, for, uh, for uh, inviting Reneo to participate in this uh, whole meeting. I am Alex Dorenbaum. I'm the chief medical officer for Reneo. And uh, uh, Reneo started operations about three years ago with uh, the mission to improve lives of patients with genetic metabolic myopathies. We uh, have a team of about 25 people with significant experience in all aspects of drug development. Uh, most of us have been involved in the approval of drugs in the past, so we know how to move this process forward very efficiently. Our lead drug candidate is RENO01, and RENO01 is a potent and selective activator of the PPAR delta receptor. Now, this receptor controls many functions of the mitochondria in the muscle cells. And in animal studies, the activation of the PPAR delta receptor increases the mitochondrial function, and this results in improved exercise uh, tolerance and endurance. And in experiments using human cells uh, outside the body, Reno-01, our drug, was able to activate the PPAR delta and improve the function of the mitochondria in these cells. We got very excited about this drug because in a leg immobilization study that was completed before we took over the Reno-01 program, healthy volunteers had one leg immobilized by a brace for two weeks, and then they were randomly assigned to two groups, one that received Reno-01 and then one that received placebo for four weeks. And at the end of the four weeks, the volunteers that had received Reno-01 had more preserved muscle strength and their leg muscles recuperated faster than those that had their leg immobilized and received placebo. So in muscle, very interestingly in, this, in these individuals, muscle biopsies were taken before and after the Reno-01 treatment and this showed activation of the genes that are involved in mitochondrial function and the genes that are involved in the formation of new mitochondria. 
So Renault licensed worldwide rights to develop and commercialize Renault One and started conducting phase one studies to evaluate treatment in patients with primary mitochondrial myopathies. We also started studies in patients with fatty acid oxidation disorders and patients with myocardial disease. All of these patients uh, have a, a myopathy. Timing was tough because as we started our clinical trials, COVID-19 emerged and we had to pause the studies because of the pandemic. The fatty acid oxidation disorders and the macaral disease studies were restarted earlier in the, in about the last three months or so. And, 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 and we're hoping to see results of these studies in about a year from now. Now we were very lucky like that the PMM study was able to be complete, completed in enrollment prior to the COVID-related pause. And the goals of this study were to evaluate the safety and the tolerability of Renault-01 and to explore improvements in symptoms and in function tests. We obtained positive preliminary data from this study, and this was the foundation for designing our global phase two study, which is currently in the process of getting started. Also, we use the time of the COVID pandemic to do a collaboration with experts in PMM and experts in the development of medical questionnaires. And we conducted a study to explore the symptoms that patients with PMM experience and how they impact their lives. The most commonly reported symptoms associated with PMM that were reported by these patients are exhaustion, fatigue, and lack of energy. Muscle symptoms such as weakness, cramping, spasms, tremors, and other symptoms related to PMM such as blurry vision and eyelid drop were also reported in this study. The most bothersome symptom by far was fatigue, exhaustion, and lack of ener energy. And patients reported that these symptoms resulted in limitations on physical activities and exercise needing to pace gradually their physical activities as well. So, as part of this project, the patients reviewed an already available fatigue questionnaire, and they indicated that the questions in the questionnaire were relevant and easy to interpret, and, and they largely captured the overall experience with fatigue. So the fatigue questionnaire is available in many languages and has been used in many studies, and this will help us move forward more rapidly with our next clinical trials. We have the support of the investigators and we have discussed the next clinical trial with several regulatory authorities like the FDA. And we are now working very hard to implement a 24 week randomized double blind placebo control study. We call it the STRIDE study, S-T-R-I-D-E, STRIDE study. The study will enroll approximately 200 patients with mitochondrial gene defects. This will be a study for adults 18 years and older with history of myopathy. The study will include sites in North America, the United States and Canada, Europe and Australia. We plan to include a walk test and symptom questionnaires in the study. We're hoping to enroll the first patients very, very soon. At Reneo, we understand that finding a safe and effective treatment for patients with primary mitochondrial myopathies is very difficult. And, and we really appreciate all the input from patient groups in the development of our program. We, we will continue to keep you informed of our progress and, and results of the study and opportunities to participate in studies. And we want to thank Action for organizing this meeting and the advocacy groups 
who work tirelessly to represent the needs and the interests of patients with, with mitochondrial diseases. Thank you everyone for inviting us again. Thank you so much, Dr. Dornbaum. We really appreciate you and the entire Renio team. And we look forward to sharing more about your studies and Thank you. Thank you so much. Next up, we have Dr. Richard Bowles of Mitochondrial and Molecular Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Bowles. Happy New Year to you. Oh, Happy New Year. Can you hear me and see me? Yes, we can. Okay, I've done everything correctly. So welcome from very deep lockdown from Los Angeles, California. Um, I have, First of all, I want to talk about my role in neuroabilities. I um, used to be called CNNH. I'm the director of neurogenomics program. It's physically located in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, but that doesn't really matter anymore. Everything's telemedicine. We're going nationwide and worldwide. The goal is, is to close the gap between the laboratory genomicist and the patient's physician. Um, I used to be a laboratory geneticist and I would get a little bit of clinical information and we would see the laboratory report. It's really difficult to know what's wrong with the patient and to really follow up on that when you're sitting in the laboratory. And then as the physician, the vast majority of physicians do not understand the new genomics and to understand a genetic report and work on it, um, it's been problematic. So what we do is we close that gap um, so that I can be in between the laboratory and the patient and the physician to go over the DNA sequences and explain what that will mean and what to do about it. So we were transitioning to an entirely telemedicine service even before the pandemic. So obviously we accelerated it in, in March. Um, we do direct consultations where I'm the physician um, on the patient. I do that nationwide, but we also do a peer-to-peer -peer nationwide. That's in when I speak to the physician, um, go over the DNA testing, go through the entire sequence myself, the, the raw data. Um, discuss the family, discuss the, the patient, discuss the, um, the genetics, and then come up with a treatment plan together. Um, that doesn't require a, a license to treat, to practice medicine if it's done without the family there. If, if it's in the United States, then the family is usually a part of that. So we do have some data on that. I mean, does this work? Can we really make a difference on that? We've put together the first 46 patients that we did peer-to-peer, um, -peer, and this was with Dr. Mark Mintz in um, New Jersey. 72% of them were neurodevelopmental, mostly autism, but also ADHD, neuropsychiatric disorders, behavioral problems, intellectual disabilities, epilepsy, and et cetera. And 28% of them were functional, cyclophominine syndrome, other types of migraine, chronic fatigue, um, et cetera. So, these are the two areas that probably a lot of people know that I've been working in is neurodevelopmental like autism and functional disease like um, fatigue and cyclic vomiting. 55% um, of them, a little bit more than half had an exact molecular diagnosis. That's either a known pathogenic or likely pathogenic um, finding um, in the DNA that correlated with the clinical on the patient. And the, and most of those were ones that I found in the deep dive of the DNA. Only 9% of the patients, the pathogenic or likely pathogenic variant was found on the laboratory report. 95% um, had a treatment recommended. Um, treatment could be a drug, a supplement, dietary, or something else. And again, they, they tended to be very highly based upon the, what I found in the, in the DNA sequence. 
Um, off, people worry about off-target findings when you're looking at three billion nucleotides and we're doing whole genome sequencing on every single piece of DNA. Um, the, that we're gonna find hundreds of different things and it's gonna bother everybody. About only 20% of the patients had an off-target finding and they, and they were helpful things like that there may be bleeding during surgery or problems during anesthesia or there to check cholesterol levels. Um, so our data show that we really can do that and take a look at the DNA sequence and give useful data to clinicians. We're working on the outcome data now to show that it really makes a difference. The other part of me is the chief medical and scientific officer of NeuroNeeds, as, one, as well as one of the founders or owners. Um, the aim is to produce um, truly effective dietary supplement products for people with different disorders. And the main target is to optimize mitochondrial dysfunction, mitochondrial function. So since 2017, we've had spectrum needs. Some of you might know about that. It's a powder, um, 33 active ingredients. Um, and now we have energy needs since November um, 2020. It's in a capsule form. So for those that don't like the taste or don't want to take the powder, it has 40 active ingredients. Um, the majority of them are parts of the mitochondrial cocktail. So you can get the entire mitochondrial cocktail basically and a multivitamin um, in, in, one ca in this capsule. Um, also, the one thing that I wasn't able to put in there is enough CoQ, the blood levels weren't high enough. Um, ubiquinol is the bioavailable type of CoQ, and among ubiquinol, it depends on what oil that it's um, put in. And so we also sell QNEADS, which is a very highly bioavailable form of ubiquinol. The, um, there are other ones on the market, but they tend to be much higher costs. Um, I, I believe what we're doing with our products so much and what I've seen in, in our patients that we're doing a clinical trial to prove it, which the 99.9% you know, .9 of dietary supplements do not do. Um, Dr. Richard Fry at Phoenix Children's Hospital is right now enrolling patients into a clinical trial, double blind placebo control and crossover where every patient will get placebo and every patient will get the active ingredient, which is spectrum needs and Q needs. And all of the patients have autism as well as documented mitochondrial dysfunction on enzymology. Um, by the way, putting together all of this information regarding the genetics and the enzymology, it appears that the vast majority of people with autism do have mitochondrial dysfunction, but it's not primary. It's not based upon genes that affect mitochondrial function. It's other genes in the cell that cause secondary mitochondrial dysfunction. So a lot of that's coming out now. It's very exciting that we can understand the, what really autism is. And as I said, in over 50% of the cases get an exact diagnosis. And that's it. Thanks, Dr. Bowles. We really appreciate you participating and sharing an update. Um, we look forward to sharing more information about your, your products and the research that you're doing in autism and mitochondrial disease. Um, thank you so much. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Up next, we have Brian Harmon, who is the CEO of the United Mitochondrial Disease Foundation. Welcome, Brian. Thanks, Kyra. Thanks for having me today. Thanks to you and MitoAction for your work in pulling this together and for the opportunity to share a little bit about UMDF's 2021 objectives. Of course, it always goes back to our mission, which is to promote research and education for the diagnosis, treatment, and cure of mitochondrial disorders and to provide support to affected individuals and families. 
And we aim to bring more impact more often each and every single year um, in our efforts to impact the lives of the patient families we serve. And we're doing that through a number of different ways. The four cornerstones of our organization are tied to research, education, advocacy, and support. So let me give you a little bit of update on each of those areas. But first, probably most notably, uh, we are excited. We just kicked off this month our 25th anniversary celebration. We're going to be celebrating a year-long effort of UMDF and its volunteers and the Mido community and all the great work that's been happening um, over our time as an organization with various milestone events throughout the year, including anniversary day celebrations, a special engagement with our Mido Medicine um, Symposium in 2021. And we plan to bring a virtual video booth, photo uploads, opportunities to share your stories. So you'll be hearing from us throughout the year uh, for an opportunity to share about your journey and your story as we try to uh, do a better job of bringing the patient voice to the, to the Mito community um, among our 25th anniversary. On a research front, our team is busy working to advance a number of initiatives. Uh, this month, we'll be launching our annual competitive research prize program. Uh, we'll be focusing on a postdoctoral fellow prize this spring. And as Lindsay mentioned earlier, we're working with our partners at Lilly, the Mito Foundation, MitoCon, and PALS, and talented researchers from around the globe on Lee's Syndrome Roadmap Project. Um, six grants have already been awarded. We now have a consensus set of outcome measures defined for a global natural history study on Lee syndrome patients. And the next step is to get sites around the world um, up and running with data collection. So we're really proud of this partnership we've been able to uh, form with uh, some of the leading PAGs around the globe. We're of course working closely with our patient family impact funds to provide research funding to talented researchers around the globe. Some very specific projects on the horizon for that. And our team is busy working closely with many of you on the call, um, our drug development friends, to help promote clinical trials and educating the patient community on the importance of enrolling. And an important tool for advancing these efforts is our soon-to-be-launched and refreshed patient registry, MitoShare. We're putting the finishing touches on this worldwide patient-populated registry initiative. Uh, the goal of the registry is to advance scientific research using data gathered from patients and families affected by Mito disease. With every new registry participant, we gain a better understanding of the disease from a patient perspective. So a very important initiative for the community. More to come on MitoShare. From an advocacy standpoint, as our country prepares for a presidential transition and welcomes a new Congress, our advocacy team is also preparing um, an outreach effort to the new presidential administration uh, to inform President-elect Biden on uh, matters that affect mitochondrial disease patients. We're working to expand our Mito Disease Caucus with the new Congress, organizing virtual constituent meetings with members of Congress, and of course, addressing ongoing advocacy on COVID-19 issues. We just recently sent letters to each and every single one of the CDC jurisdictions uh, to uh, promote um, Mito, Mito Disease patients to be considered as a priority patient for vaccine if they so choose to get the vaccine. And you can find COVID-19 resources, of course, on our website, umdf.org. Education and support continues to be a place that we focus for FY21, or excuse me, calendar year 21. Uh, we continue to scenario plan out for our international symposium, Mito Medicine 2021, where we traditionally bring everybody together in an effort to educate and share. Um, certainly, we're continuing to monitor the situation among COVID-19, and we'll have announcements on that very soon. This past year, we launched Mito University, uh, affectionately called Mito U, for both the clinical and patient family communities. 
This provides families, caregivers, clinicians with the resources and facts and knowledge that they need to navigate uh, their journey. And then, of course, we're continuing to crank out additional content. We have a, a relatively new Ask the MitoDoc web series that's focused for patient families. We have a web series that is targeted at the research community called Bench to Bedside and ongoing virtual support meetings to meet patient families and provide support uh, during this unprecedented time. And with our friends at MitoAction and the Mitochondrial Medicine Society, we continue to advance the mitochondrial care network. Uh, pleased to share that the group has recently hired a network coordinator to help move projects along. And of course, none of this can be done without the generous support of the community. And we're so grateful to so many of you on the phone uh, who have uh, made an investment into UMDF and, and many of the PAGs represented on here today. We certainly count on it uh, in a really tough year. Um, our Energy for Life signature event will be going virtual again this spring. Um, our Accelerators Program, which is a program aimed at um, funding postdoctoral researchers and giving our donors an opportunity to help direct where research funding goes, continues to be a popular program for our organization. We launched a new monthly giving program this year called Hope Flies and continue to find creative ways to bring much needed resources to the organization. I thank you again for your ongoing support. Um, as it's been said on this call, it's been a really tough year for everyone and charities have not been spared. Uh, we really have so much important work to do, every single one of us. And uh, we have patient families counting on us. So we're grateful that you all have come alongside with us. Thanks, Kyra. Thanks, Brian. We appreciate all the hard work you and the team at UMDF do. And we look forward to continuing our partnerships and working closely with you guys in 2021. Up next, we have Dr. Peter McGuire with the National Institute of Health. Welcome, Dr. McGuire. How are you? Good. Thanks, Kyra, for having me. It's all, all yours. Oh, it is? Okay. Uh, there we go. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, so yes, uh, so my name is Dr. Peter McGuire. I'm an investigator um, at the National Human Genome Research Institute uh, in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the studies that we've been doing to address this important question of infection and immunity um, in individuals with mitochondrial disease. Uh, next slide. So this is the National Institutes of Health. It's America's research hospital. Um, so this is where we run a uh, longitudinal natural history study of infection uh, and immunity uh, in individuals with mitochondrial disease. It's known as the NIH mini study. And I know there's probably individuals on the call uh, who, who have actually come to visit us. And I wanna say I'm very thankful uh, to all of the families and individuals that have participated uh, in our studies. They really help us um, try and make um, some really important observations in this community because infection can be particularly devastating uh, in the mitochondrial uh, disease population. Next slide. So why are we interested in infection and mitochondrial disease? Well, uh, in children, sepsis and pneumonia are two of the most common causes of death. Um, and sepsis itself uh, is also one of the uh, top five admitting diagnoses for pediatric patients with mitochondrial disease. Interestingly enough, up to 80% of children uh, may experience recurrent infections. And a lot of these uh, recurrent infections are respiratory viral infections. Uh, intercurrent infection uh, can actually cause something called metabolic decompensation, which is something that I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with the term yourself. I've heard your providers talk about. 
And, and during uh, metabolic decompensation, individuals can experience um, episodic neurodegeneration. So really can cause their mitochondrial disease to actually progress and their symptoms uh, to become worse. And the COVID-19 pandemic really represents uh, a threat uh, to patients with mitochondrial disease in terms of trying to keep this vulnerable population healthy. Next slide. So as I mentioned, we have a, a longitudinal natural history study at the NIH, um, which is known as the NIH mini study. And it's, an, it's a study of infection and immunity um, in individuals with mitochondrial disease. Uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, um, we, uh, since this is what we study basically, uh, infection and immunity, we instituted a number of other projects, which I'm going to tell you about, um, which are actually remote and can be done at home. So participants can fill out questionnaires and, and online as well as um, send samples, which I'll, I'll tell you about. Um, when the pandemic first started back in April, uh, uh, we actually issued a questionnaire, which we then followed up in June, which was trying to understand the experience of the mitochondrial disease community during the COVID-19 pandemic, which I'll tell you about uh, in a minute. Um, from that online survey, some of you actually may have filled it out. Um, from that online survey, we learned a lot of things. And from that online survey, we actually uh, instituted two additional protocols, which are in green up top. Uh, the first one was instituted in May, uh, which looks at acute infection uh, in mitochondrial disease during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, which I'll tell you about. And then the second uh, study, uh, which we started in the fall of 2020, has to do with viral exposure um, in children with mitochondrial disease during the COVID-19 pandemic. As the vaccine is being rolled out now, um, we have another questionnaire, which uh, is going to be sent out shortly, looking at vaccine attitudes um, in the mitochondrial disease community. So look out for that. That may be coming through your various patient advocacy organizations or even into your email box. Um, but then also too, as more individuals with mitochondrial disease receive vaccination, we will be looking at um, the response to that vaccination uh, via the NIH mini study. Next slide. So from our online survey, we learned a bunch of things. Um, interestingly enough, about 60% of children and over 80% of adults um, have at least one recognized uh, condition by the CDC um, that is a risk factor for severe COVID, um, including things like respiratory weakness, um, immunodeficiency, and asthma. But um, so that kind of informed our, our, our study I'm gonna talk about, which has to do with um, capturing illness during uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and understanding that illness in individuals. Uh, the second thing actually had to do with uh, risk uh, factors for exposure um, to COVID-19. Interestingly enough, about 38% of children and about 33% of adults had at least one household member who's actually considered an essential worker and therefore has increased contact with the community, which can serve as a risk factor for bringing COVID-19 back into the home. Next slide. So this is our study that we began in May 2020. We are still currently recruiting and it has to do with acute infection um, in mitochondrial disease during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this study really aims to understand the course of infection um, during this pandemic, where this is something, this is a remote study, so it can be done at home, um, where we actually um, uh, will speak with you on the phone and send you questionnaires to document symptoms. Um, adults and children with mitochondrial disease, confirmed mitochondrial disease are eligible for this study. And we work with not only the family, but actually the local physician to collect information about the illness itself, as well as uh, potentially requesting medical records and uh, requesting a blood sample um, for some individuals, not all individuals. 
Uh, next slide, please. This is uh, one of our studies that's going on now, which actually has to do with viral exposure um, in children with mitochondrial disease. And we're encouraging people, and I'll provide links at the end to contact us about this. And the idea is to understand viral exposure in the household. As I mentioned before, you know, up to a third of, of households can have um, an individual who is considered uh, an essential worker and therefore has increased contact with the community, which then can serve as um, a risk for bringing COVID-19 into the home. Um, exposure to COVID-19, one of the top places where that occurs is actually in the home. Um, so this is a study for children with mitochondrial disease and members of the household. Um, so what we do is we have individuals fill out online questionnaires about um, their, their uh, contacts with the community um, and some of their behaviors um, outside the home. And then we send to the home um, these finger stick um, collection um, uh, vehicles, which you can see here on the left. It's something called Neoteryx, where you actually can do a finger stick and collect blood into this little Q-tip um, and then close it up. It's kind of like a little clamshell there and send it back to us. And we do all of the work here in, ter in terms of providing return postage and, and, and getting it all sorted out. And what we're really looking at here is by our questionnaires, we're actually able to develop um, a risk assessment of the exposure in the family, depending on the questions that we ask. And then we can look in the blood sample, look at uh, for antibodies, which actually indicate viral exposure. Next slide. So I just wanted to thank you, uh, Kyra, for a chance to tell you a little bit about our studies. Um, our website here is www.genome.gov forward slash mini, where you can find out about these studies I spoke about, as well as the NIH mini study. And here are some of our other contact details uh, for individuals who wish to get in touch with us. Thank you very much and happy new year to everyone. Thank you so much, Dr. McGuire. We look forward to sharing the results of all of these studies as we know COVID is at the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, and so I will be anxious to get the results of all of these great studies that you're doing um, and learning more about how it's impacting the mitochondrial disease community. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Happy new year to you. Happy new year. Next up, we have Keith McIntyre, who is the coordinator for INFORM. Hi, Keith. Hello, Kyra. How are you? Good. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, and uh, welcome. And I'm glad I'm here to, here to speak with you today. I wanted to tell you a little bit about Inform and what we're planning to do throughout this year. Um, we are having actually our first international meeting on Monday with the uh, Scientific and Planning Committee to determine what format that the, our conference will take this year. Um, as many of you know, we, can, we usually precede the SSIEM, and this year we would be preceding the ICIEM in Australia, but uh, as you know that uh, they're not allowing anybody into the country. So we are making a plan um, to perhaps coordinate the informed meeting later in the year and probably here in the United States. Uh, Dr. Jerry Vockley is pretty adamant about having a face-to-face -face meeting. So if we can do it, we are going to try to do that along with a um, probably a live streaming component as well. Uh, so stay tuned for that information should be coming out in the near future. Uh, also, we are, we've started a lecture series. The lecture series will be, uh, will be held every third Monday of the month, uh, February through June and um, 
that will be posted on our website probably the first of the week. I know uh, communications went out yesterday to those who attended Inform or had registered for Inform 2020. And um, so by going to informnetwork.org, you can gather more information on that lecture series. The, uh, there will be two presenters during each um, uh, presentation. They all start at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And um, they are speakers, or they are present people who have presented posters to inform, and they're being selected now to be uh, presenters for the lecture series. Um, also, we um, continue to have the Ask the Expert session uh, or question and answer session on Inform website. Uh, all those questions are answered by Dr. Jerry Bockley, usually within 24 hours after they hit the site. Uh, so if you go to the family section on our website, you can see those questions and see what the, what the families are really thinking about. And some of the questions um, have literally thousands of hits on them. So um, you can get an idea of what families are thinking. Uh, also, we continue to work with Mito Action throughout the year. We started working with them probably a little over a year ago, and um, they really have become our, our really component in getting to the families. And so we'll continue that, that ongoing work with them um, as they uh, have all these other events rolling out throughout the year from their podcast to their conference in GLI. Um, also, those of you who attended or registered for Inform 2020 in October, um, Inform, the Inform conference is up and available on our website on demand. So if you did pre-register and you use the email and the password you used, you can access that um, as often as you'd like. And now the um, presentations are out there along with the Q&A. Anyone on the call who did not register for that our conference and would like to uh, go out and, and see some of the presentations um, just by going out to informnetwork.org. You can either get it, you can get there from the uh, homepage or from the annual meeting page, just register. And there is a coupon code, which is inform2020. That's uh, all small letters, I-N-F-O-R-M, and then the number 2020. And you can use that coupon code and have a free registration to go out and take a look at um, the INFORM meeting, which happened last October. So in closing, I just want to thank Mito Action for all they do to help us reach the families. And also want to continue, I'm going to thank um, the continued support of our industry partners who um, make it possible for uh, the INFORM network to um, be up and running. And of course, to those of you that stands for the International Network for fatty acid oxidation research and management. So thank you once again, and thank you, Kyra, for allowing me to be a part of this. Thank you so much, Keith, for joining us today. And we look forward to some great things to come between MitoAction and Inform. And Happy New Year to you. Next up, we have Mike Kendall, who is the CEO and co-founder of VMP Genetics. Welcome, Mike. Are you ready? he's muted. Let's give him a second to pop on and join us. Mike, are you there? Hold on. Okay. There we go. All right. I can hear you now. All right. Great. 
And I can see you. Wonderful. Happy New Year. Yes. Uh, thank you. Obviously, of course, somebody had to call me this minute. Um, all right. I'm Mike Kendall, co-founded VMP with Dr. Fran Kendall more than a decade ago. While difficult year, obviously, for all of us, we did have the opportunity for growth and have expanded to four clinical biochemical geneticists, uh, three leaders in the field and a rising star along with a metabolic nutritionist. Uh, but some years ago, we expanded into three divisions, direct patient care led by Dr. Kendall and physician support services and education led by Dr. Mark Corson. First, the direct patient care. Few may remember that VMP stands for virtual medical practice. Uh, we pioneered telemed in the field, which enabled us to support our patients from Hong Kong to Moscow with, without missing a beat during COVID. Uh, we continue to see patients in our office or remote. And if anything, we see telemed acceptance expanding in the years to come. Our physician support services continue to expand. Uh, we provide physicians who have a contract with us metabolic support and now we have three clinical you know, biochemical geneticists in our toolbox, along with the metabolic nutritionist who can assist other nutritionists with a more targeted support. Our education offerings, which we develop educational programs under grants from industry and pharma, change pretty dramatically as a whole, um, as the field struggled with how to change over from in-person to remote models. Uh, we still had a few presentations such as MitoAction's successful 2020 International Metabolic Conference and used our time to develop something we believe is pretty exciting, a patient teacher registry to raise awareness about diseases like Mito or FOD. Metabolic diseases are not well taught in medical school and postgraduate training or residency programs. As a result, patients can go for years without a diagnosis, and too often, one is never established. We believe that patients are very effective teachers to those in the healthcare field, since their stories can be a very powerful teaching tool. Through grants, BMP has developed a patient teacher registry, which will launch on our website very soon. Uh, we are currently in the collection stage of building out the database. Uh, the patient physician registry will allow educators in medical schools and teaching hospitals to quickly locate disease specific educational video clips that are in the public domain and vetted by us, as well as patients and family members who wanna make themselves available for teaching medical audiences. A patient's personal info is always protected, so no worries there. If a presenter is interested in discussing matters with a patient or family member, we provide the patient or family member with the presenter's contact info so that the control of exposing one's medical or personal data remains in control of the patient or family member. Providing such a resource to educators or presenters enables them to easily enhance a lecture or stimulate the audience interest in metabolic medicine. And that's always been our goal. If you're interested in part uh, participating and being listed as a patient or family member of a patient, please email us at patientteacherregistry at vmpgenetics.com. Well, my time's up and all of us at VMP wish you and 
all yours uh, well over the next year. Have a great day. Thanks so much, Mike. We appreciate your commitment to the community. It's exciting to hear that you've expanded your team and are able to continue to serve more and more patients. So we appreciate you and Dr. Kendall and Dr. Corson and all the members of your team and all that you do for our community. Thank you so much. And happy Take care. Up next, we have Jennifer Hogan, who is the Vice President of Marketing for Variant YS. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome. Hi, Kyra. Do you see and hear me okay? And yes. Okay, great. Uh, so thanks uh, for the invitation to come speak here. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jennifer Hogan. Uh, Kyra was mentioning I handle communications and outreach for Variantics, and I'm very glad that I have the opportunity today to tell you a little bit about what we do. So we are a genetic testing lab that's based outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And we specialize in genetic testing for neurological and rare inherited disorders like mitochondrial disease. What makes our testing different than many other labs is that we use a methodology that's called whole genome sequencing. So other methods make lots of copies of specific regions of DNA and then sequence those regions. And in contrast, we sequence the entire DNA directly. So we always have the full information available for analysis. An advantage of having that full DNA sequence is that we're able to detect all different types of DNA changes that can lead to disease, including changes that are responsible for mitochondrial disease. These might be small changes, big changes, simple changes, complex changes, um, and they're all identified from a single sample and a single test. So our flagship test is called our Genomic Unity Whole Genome Analysis which looks broadly at the individual's entire DNA. In the last year, we've been excited to introduce a set of more targeted tests, including one that we call our Genomic Unity Mitochondrial Genome Analysis, which looks very specifically at the individual's mitochondrial genome. Uh, and the other is our Genomic Unity Mitochondrial Disorders Analysis, which uh, in addition to looking at the individual's mitochondrial genome, also looks at a set of nuclear genes that are known to be associated with mitochondrial disorders. These additional tests uh, provide clinicians with greater ordering flexibility, and importantly, it also makes it easier to get the testing approved by insurance. Um, because we use the same whole genome sequencing methodology for all of our tests, uh, that means that we always have access to the entire DNA sequence, and we can automatically reflex up from one of those more targeted tests to our broader whole genome analysis. Uh, I just wanted to mention that I'm fortunate to work with a lot of talented and dedicated colleagues that are part of our clinical team. We have a great group of clinical coordinators who handle all aspects of benefits investigation, and they're always available to answer questions about the test ordering process. We also have a wonderful group of experienced genetic counselors. Um, they're always ready and available to explain the details of our testing methodology, to compare and contrast the different tests. And once testing's been completed, to follow up with the ordering clinician to answer any questions that they might have about the results that were provided in the report. Uh, the best way to reach our clinical coordinators or genetic counselors is through our website at variantix.com. So that's spelled V-A-R-I-A-N-T-Y-X like the word variant with a Y and X added at the end. And there you'll find a full set of contact details as well as more information about our testing. 
So with that, I'll close by saying that we're looking forward in 2021 to working more closely with Kyra and the others at Mito Action, the broader Mito community, and hope you'll reach out with any questions about our work. And thanks everyone for listening. Thanks so much, Jennifer, to you and thanks for all of your hard work. We really, really appreciate it. And we, we likewise look forward to working with you throughout 2021. Thank you so much. Next up, we have Catherine Mulvale, who is the Chief Development Officer for Mito Canada. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, Kira. Thanks very much. And hi, everybody as well. So uh, appreciate having you, allowing us uh, to introduce ourselves here. So I am... Uh, have recently been appointed the co-leader of Mito Canada, and I'm sharing that responsibility along with my colleague, Kate Murray. Um, some of you who have worked with Mito Canada in the past may recognize Kate's name. She was working with the foundation about three years ago. Um, both of us have a long history of uh, working with health charities in Canada and helping to build and or transform them. So Mito Canada celebrated its uh, 10th anniversary this year, um, albeit it was a, uh, not with as much fanfare as they had expected. Um, but the organization is a grassroots organization that was founded by Blaine Penny, who's a parent of a child who has mitochondrial disease living in Alberta, Canada. Um, in the past, the organization has really focused on support, education, awareness, advocacy, and research. Um, and most of the funding has been raised through um, incredible extreme athletic events. They actually hold 15 Guinness World Records. So they've been really creative in coming up with ideas on how they might be able to raise funds uh, by engaging a very specific community. Um, and they've been really good from what we can tell of working with allied groups, such as many of the ones that are on the, the call right now to provide support and materials for patients. So with Kate and I um, being introduced to the organization, it really is um, a symbol of Mito Canada starting a new stage of its evolution. And I'll just get you to go to the next slide if you don't mind, Kira. Um, and we're doing that by um, introducing a new and sort of overarching uh, vision that has a positive spin to it rather than focusing just on disease, but you know, what can we do to, to take a look at things in a positive light? And that is really that we wanna be able to create a world where all lives are powered by healthy mitochondria, which doesn't mean we're not, we're not going to be supporting those who are living with mitochondrial disease, but trying to take the look at that, you know, wouldn't it be great if mitochondrial disease didn't happen in the first place, um, but recognizing that we need to support those who have uh, disease right now. So we want to ensure that Mito Canada is recognized as the trusted source for Canadians who are living with mitochondrial disease. And we're hoping to do that by um, introducing some new initiatives this year, including introducing a, a prevalence and impact study. Um, I have to say that it's been a bit of a frustration for me to uh, try and get some really concrete numbers on who is affected, when are they affected, how are they infected, what's, what's available to them. And there just seem to be so many gaps in the information that's available that we really thought that we need to have a base of information um, to be starting from. We wanna understand the patient journey. And it sounds like lots of the organizations that are on the line have done 
um, really wonderful work on that. So we may uh, be reaching out to some of you to try and get support on that. Um, we want to uh, clearly identify and collaborate with clinics and clinicians who are providing care now to those who are living with um, mitochondrial disease. So we've launched a, we called it a clinic audit across the country to take a look at what's happening in that area. And then um, as with uh, most of you who are on the line is we are looking to update the materials that we have, augment them and introduce some new patient support resources. Um, one of the key um, initiatives that we would like to focus on as well is improving the communication between clinics and patients to ensure that it's a really good experience for all. I think lots of the times we end up focusing primarily on the patient experience, but don't always understand or, or focus on recognizing that there's a journey that that patient goes on with the healthcare professionals who are supporting them. And so we want to be able to support the clinicians as well so that the experiences that they have when they have a mitochondrial disease patient in front of them is a good experience for both of them. So supporting them with communications materials, resources for the patients, um, understanding where the gaps uh, that they need to provide that care best are. And then I think I, I just really wanted to finish up by saying that, um, you know, again, new kid on the block, um, but I'm really looking forward to getting to know all of you um, in this global mito community and exploring the opportunities where we can collaborate together, that we can better, better understand the many existing challenges that our communities are facing, and most importantly, to establish a world where all lives are powered by health and mitochondria and those that are struggling um, have the support that they need to have the best quality of life. Well said, Catherine. We are <laughs> having you as part of the mito community and we all here in the U.S. look forward to working with you and to continuing to serve the patients in Canada and supporting your efforts in any way that we can. So I'm glad that you were here with us and um, we look forward to connecting with you soon. Wonderful, thank you so much. Next, we have Ted Tufis, who is a clinical pharmacist with Dino Health. Welcome, Ted. Hi, Tyra, thank you very much. Oh, okay, I don't know if it's uh, a little bit different with this Zoom session, I'm not seeing myself. So uh, hi, hi, everybody, happy new year. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about the Mito cocktail and updates that have happened over the past you know, year or so with, with it. Um, we're coming off, well, 2020 not being the, obviously the best year for, for anybody, but uh, 2020 saw us coming off the fruits of the labor that a lot of people, uh, including ourselves, had fighting with uh, the FDA to get compound parts, uh, components of the mito cocktail, such as CoQ10, creatine, and a few other medications that are necessary for metabolics uh, to be allowed to be compounded by pharmacies. Um, there was a there was a huge um, uh, FDA um, uh, information gathering period that eventually led to FDA hearings, and uh, ourselves as well as other uh, other compounders, other pharmacies, um, had to uh, put in a fight in order to get some parts of uh, medications covered, or not covered, but allowed to be compounded by uh, uh, by them. So we we won that fight, which was awesome. Um, and um, there's still going to be regulatory challenges and changes throughout um, the, the next few years, as, as we're seeing with uh, both the FDA and USP. Um, so we're 
going off of that composite note and then the update um, and USP both decided to make changes to compounds, what can be compounded, you know, access to medication through uh, states um, uh, uh, from one state to another. So if you have a compound who doesn't, you're not familiar with doing mitococktails or working with anything like that, um, you could find a resource out of state that was that was available that uh, did have that uh, capability of access. So now we're, we're having that other fight on our hands uh, with what is um, what's being allowed to from state to state be be made and sent to patients, um, and that's regardless of licensures and, and, and other things and other regulatory uh, stat statutes that are necessary for compounders to be able to make metacocktail or any other medication for patients across state lines. Um, USP is also um, increasing their stringency of compounding practices, which you know is not a bad thing. Uh, it does lead to a lot of positive um, uh, positive benefit for patients because you're going to have more compounds, more standardized um, uh, procedures, and safety and, and everything like that for, for patients who get compounds. Um, however, it's also forcing some compounders to stop compounding because the restrictions are too stringent or the regulatory procedures are too much for them to be able to continue compounding. So there's still that happening uh, in the background as well. Some of these actions were supposed to have gone into effect in 2020. Um, they were delayed because of legal action and then COVID on top of everything. Uh, we're probably going to see that fight happening again in 2021 as the vaccine, everything get administered um, and we get, you know, we get back to some sort of semblance of normalcy. Uh, we'll be seeing some of the legal um, uh, legal battles being resolved or, or have a little bit more information about them in the next you know, six to eight months, we're, we're assuming. Um, we also saw standardization of mito, uh, mito literature happening, um, publications by different providers all over the country collaborated. Um, and 2019, those were published. So in 2020, we saw a little bit more standardization of the approach in um, uh, the cocktail how patients are started off on, uh, post-genetic testing, if they, uh, uh, they have certain factors or, or uh, deficiencies being guided more by a dose-specific regimen, uh, whereas before it was a little bit more trial and error. There still is a trial and error uh, effect with uh, mitococktails because not everybody is going to respond, even if they have a genetic predisposition to be on certain cofactors, certain doses. They might need more, they might need less, they might not, they might need different, uh, different form of, of CoQ10 or something like that, uh, depending on what their actual response is to the disease. Because even within similar genetic profiles, patients do have uh, different responses and um, uh, benefits from the mitococktail. Um, We've been seeing, um, as one of the other presenters earlier uh, stated, a, a greater link with autism and uh, mitochondrial disease. We've been seeing more patients who have autism and mitochondrial disease see better response with patients with mitochondrial disease um, because now uh, their autism scores, uh, because we've, they've now seen this mitochondrial link and they're getting um, treatment, which seems to be benefiting them in, in many situations. Um, that is pretty much it for uh, for the uh, mito cocktail. We're still working with insurance companies. We're still trying to uh, get coverage and understanding of that across the board with um, with insurance companies and in, in, uh, different states that have questions in our in our area, New England area. 
Um, so we're hoping to see some progress from that front as well in 2021 and on. Thank you so much, Ted. I just want to thank, you know, huge thank to the team at Fair Health um, and all of the work that you guys do from an advocacy perspective to support the patient community in the Mitre Cocktail. We truly, truly appreciate that. Um, and we look forward to hearing more from you um, in 2021 about the Mitre Cocktail. Thank you so much. Happy thank you very much for having us. Wonderful. So up next, we have Sophia Zilber. Sophia is a fierce patient advocate who has been working on um, data from the mitochondrial disease patient registry, and she is going to share some information about what she's been working on. Welcome, Sophia. Thank you, Carla, so much. Can you hear me? We can hear you, yes. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I'm Sophia Zilber, and I have several roles in the rare disease community. Uh, professionally, I work in Pfizer in rare disease. I'm also on the board of two rare disease organizations. I'm also on the medical and scientific advisory board of rare apt patient registry platform. And uh, personally, I also lost my daughter to mitochondrial disease. Thank you so much for having me here. And I'd just like to share a few things um, that I'm involved in that uh, would be of interest to the rest of the Mito community. Um, in October, I did a presentation at the Targeting Mitochondria Conference. Um, the presentation was based on a paper I published last year with uh, Dr. Phil Yaski from UMDF. And um, um, in this presentation, I shared findings of the paper that related to patients' uh, perspectives and experiences in living with mitochondrial disease, and also some of the very important lessons that were learned that could be useful to others working with patient registries. Um, patients' uh, comments that they shared in the registry were very personal and very powerful and very impactful. And so one of the main goals of that project was um, really to give back to the patients um, so that they know that they have been heard and so that they know that their participation in the registry was valuable and important. And so I would really like to thank uh, Dr. Waldmar Weisig, who is the president of the World Mitochondria Society. Thanks to him, it was possible to present and share this. Uh, now this presentation is available publicly at the link you can see here, and I encourage everyone to hear it. Um, next slide, please. Um, recently, I wrote another very short paper uh, called Patient Registry Design Guide for Rare Disease Foundations. Um, my co-author on this is Jason Colquitt. Uh, Jason is the CEO of a company across healthcare, which also has a patient registry. And um, Jason also has a personal connection to mitochondrial disease. This paper is very short. It's only three pages. It's, um, it's very concise and it's easy to read. And we are really hoping that this paper will be helpful to rare disease groups and also helpful to patients um, just to feel more empowered and um, feel, like, um, feel like they would know better which questions to ask when joining any patient registry. Um, Jason and I really welcome any questions and any discussion on this. Um, next slide. I'd like to say a couple of words about uh, RareX platform. I'm on the advisory board for them. 
I think this platform could be very interesting for mitochondrial disease community. It's going to be a federated data analysis platform, meaning that it could connect to the existing registries and to other data sources. And um, data can be queried and analyzed together and made easier available to researchers in industry. Data will be structured and standardized. It will be free to use for patients and patient foundations. And it will be possible to identify potential myo patients um, based on the symptoms and their responses in the registry. You could find more information on their website. And um, please go on to the next slide. And uh, one thing, uh, one last thing I wanted to share, I've noted throughout my experience that uh, we really have many great resources in the MITRE community, but a lot of times they don't know each other and uh, many efforts are really done in parallel rather than build on each other's experience. Um, additionally, there are smaller patient groups who sometimes uh, do very important work or fund very promising research, but they don't always have an opportunity to share it with the wider community. And so I created a Google group, um, really with the goal of encouraging discussion and um, to make it easier to collaborate, share knowledge and information and make it more of a community. Um, I really just started less than two weeks ago, so it's very new. So far we have nine groups there. And um, if you would like to join, uh, please join. Next slide, please. Thank you. I guess that's all for me. Uh, my, uh, you're welcome to reach out to me with any questions. And all the information I shared, all the links, you can also find them on my LinkedIn page as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kyra, so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for all the hard work that you're doing about the patient registry and uh, patient data. We really, really appreciate everything you do for the MITO community. Last, our last but not least speaker, please join me in welcome, welcoming Elena McCormick, who is the Consumer Marketing Manager of Nutrition for Thrive RX, which um, is now becoming Optum Infusion Pharmacy. Elena, are you with us? We'll give her a second to get connected. Turner. Let's see. Trying again. Got you. Okay. Just can you hear me now? Yeah, we can okay. hear you. To start your video. Okay, you. perfect. Well, Hi. Thank you so much. Um, for having me today. Um, I'm going to be as short and sweet as I can since we're already over time and, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak. So um, I'm Elena. I'm Elena McCormick and I'm uh, in responsible for consumer marketing for ThriverX, which is a division of Diplomat Specialty Infusion Group. And the biggest news for our company this last year is that as part of Diplomat Specialty Infusion, uh, ThriverX is becoming Optum Infusion Pharmacy. So if you're not familiar, ThriverX and Optum Infusion Pharmacy provides uh, home parenteral and enteral nutrition support, or PPN in tube feeds for patients, along with programs designed to help our consumers 
achieve their nutrition goals. So we offer quality care that fosters independence and we maintain the highest standards and service and clinical management. So in addition to our educational materials and tools, we provide peer support and guidance through our incredible group of consumer advocates and our advocacy team all have personal experience either with TPN as a patient or as a caregiver, which is really unique to our industry. And we have several advocates who are also members of this Mito community. Um, ThriverX's Maximize Health, which is our home intestinal rehabilitation program, is becoming Optum Intestinal Rehab. So that program is going to be continuing uh, as, as we integrate with Optum. And if you aren't familiar, this home uh, rehab program provides intensive educational and motivational counseling for patients with short bowel syndrome um, when you're on home parenteral nutrition. And the overall goal is reducing HPN dependence uh, and improving clinical outcomes. And those new materials will be available soon, but the program is still in existence right now. I mean, obviously, 2020 wasn't the year any of us anticipated. Uh, Thrive RX did launch a new consumer tool known as Shift, which is transitioning to HPN self care. The goals of this program were to support families and clinicians and aid in um, successful transition to self care. So one of the components of this program is an age-based tool that helps parents guide the development of HPN skills. This checklist allows child, parents, and clinical team members to monitor their progress and set medically appropriate goals for transition to self-care. These tools were developed with the understanding that each family is unique in terms of um, self-care and independence, and those are based on all of the individuals involved, which is especially helpful to the Mito community. To learn more about the resources available through the SHIFT program, you can visit our website, uh, which I'll put in the chat afterwards. Uh, you can also search on our website for keyword SHIFT. Um, so next year, we're really looking forward to our integration with Optimum Infusion Pharmacy and expanding our local nursing care and providing exceptional consumer-driven nutrition support throughout the country. If you'd like to learn more about our programs and services, you can visit us at thriverx.diplomat.is or optum.com. And thank you so much for inviting me to participate in the Mito Town meeting today and for the opportunity to continue supporting the nutritional needs of the Mito community as well as many others. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Elena. We appreciate you joining us today. So that brings us to the end of today's program. I appreciate everyone joining. I know it's been a really long day. I want to thank all of today's speakers for taking the time to share with the community. As we've heard today, we have an army of clinicians, researchers, advocates, caregivers, families, and more who are all working tirelessly to support the MITO community, to bring treatments to market, and to ensure that anyone affected by MITO knows they're not alone on this journey. Working side by side, we're stronger together. We're here for you to support you in any way you need. Reach out to us, utilize the available resources, and continue to let us know how we can make your lives easier. Thank you all for joining us today and have a wonderful weekend. We look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.